Well, how are we doing? Awesome. It is good to see you here today, and uh, I'm excited uh, to be kind of kicking things back off and back to kind of normalcy, back to service times, back to fall. I was going to say, I love fall. It feels like July today. I don't like that. I want to wear a hoodie. I want it to be fall uh, because I love fall. Fall is the best season of the year. All right, there we go. I didn't even have to ask for that. I preach the word of God and don't get that excitement. <laughs> but I love fall. It is the best season. You can disagree with me, but you'll be wrong. And fall, it, it is the best weather. It's the best wardrobe with hoodies and flannel and all of the good things. NHL starts in the fall. That's good. You know what else happens in the fall? Costco pumpkin pie. Oh, does anyone know what I mean by a Costco pump? Those things are like the size of a 42-inch flat screen, but in pie form, they're gigantic, and it's like six bucks. I can feed my family for two weeks with a Costco pie. It is awesome, and I love it. And so all, all of these things just work together to make fall really the greatest season of the year. But I, I think what I really like about fall is that fall feels more like the new year than the new year. You know what I mean? Right? I know that January 1st technically is the new year. I know that's when people make their resolutions. I know on the calendar that says it's the new year. But to me, fall feels more like it's actually the new year. January doesn't feel like that. You're midway through the school year. You're midway through a season. The weather is cold and snowy, and it will be for three more months, right? Like it's, nothing changes but in the fall, everything's just about to happen. Everyone's back from vacation and back to school and back to structure and routine and normalcy and all the things start that should be starting, and it's wonderful. Um, it's pumpkin pie, right? And so it's why I like fall is that it really feels like a blank slate. It feels like this is the time to have kind of a fresh start, and I always think in the fall, you know, all right, so what do I want to do this year? What do I want to change? What do we want to kind of make different or make better or whatever? I, I feel more inclined to think those things in fall than I do in January. And there's, there's promise and anticipation in the air in fall. Because kids haven't failed anything yet at school, right? <laughs> Clean start. You're, you're back at work. You're still kind of mostly focused, right? It, it just feels good. I propose that we make a motion to make September 1st the new January 1st, right? All those in favor say aye. aye. So moved, motion carried. I, I'm going to be the next premier, and we're going to make some changes up and around these places. All that to say this is that that's why we have our vision weekend in September, 
Not in January, or not when the weird Wesleyan church calendar says the church year ends, but in the fall. We look at this to be a time where it's key vision casting, a good time to talk about who we are and where we're going and how we're going to get there. And so we do that every fall, and well, before the fall, and we start praying and thinking, where is God leading us this year? What do we feel like God is asking us to do? Or what are the things we believe that God has for us in store? And so as a staff team and as a board team, we think about this and we pray about this and we have discussions about this and and we just try and figure out, all right, what do we want to look like this year? Where where do we want to go this year? And I share all of that with you guys, just kind of a glimpse as to why we do that, because I, I want you to know that the next few weeks that we're in this Untitled series have really come from a spot of a lot of prayer and a lot of discussion. Uh, There's weight behind these words because we've been processing them for quite a while. When you guys come to church and hear a vision weekend, it's fresh. You haven't thought about it. You're here. It's instant. But we've been kind of carrying it for a few months now. And I want you to know as a staff team, we're we're behind this and believe it. And as a board team, we've had these discussions and we have filled whiteboards and and it's good. And so I want you to know... That, that we really believe in these vision weekends. This isn't just a time to come and, all right, everyone's back, fill it up again, let's go. But we, we believe in the vision that God has for us this year. And, um, and so initially, our vision this year might not astound you with its creativity, as you'll notice by the logo. It, it might not shock you with its revolutionary new ways of doing church or crazy new ways of thinking. You might be disappointed by the lack of pyrotechnics or whatever it is. But I want, you to, I want you to hear us out, okay? Our vision this year at Crosspoint is that we would be healthy. Healthy. I know what you're thinking. Boring, right? Like, really? That's your vision that you'd be healthy? Like, what is that? You can't put that on a t-shirt and expect anyone to buy it. Hashtag health isn't going to take off on Twitter, right? Like, it's, it's not exciting. There's no pizzazz in that. And, and we've had more exciting visions in terms of let's get fired up and go reach our city and do crazy things. And it's like, woo! And it may, maybe the word health just doesn't do that for you. And I get that. And, and I understand that I can't get up here every time we do a vision weekend and be like, I've never been more excited about a whatever, a vision or a thing that we're about to do. And I'm not going to say that this time, but I can say this. I've never been more confident that this is the direction that God is leading us and that we're really believing that this is where God is taking us. I want nothing more for us this year than to be a healthy church. I don't want anything more this year than for you to be healthy, for your families to be healthy, for your kids to be healthy. And obviously, we're not at a gym, so we're not just talking about physical health, though that wouldn't hurt, and it's probably a part of it. We're not at a psychologist's office or a psychiatrist, so we're not just talking about mental health, though that's important and probably a part of it. We're not, I'm the furthest thing from Dave Ramsey you'll ever find. We're not talking about financial health, right? And it's not even that we're at a church, so we're talking spiritual health. It's bigger than that. I think we do ourselves a disservice when we compartmentalize everything in our lives. It's all connected. It's all connected. And so we're talking about health as this whole big picture that God wants for his people and for his church. And our key verse this year comes from 1 Thessalonians, which is difficult to say. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And it says this, 
Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. This is the phrase I keep coming back to, that the God of peace would make us holy in every way, in our body, in our soul, and in our spirit, that we would be whole and complete, that we would be the way God wants us to be, that we would look the way that, that God planned for us to be, that there would be nothing, nothing missing, nothing cracked or broken along, the, that we would just be holy in every single way. And, and I know that when we see in the Bible words like spirit and soul, we always link those. We make them the same thing, but we use them interchangeably. Side note, this is what we mean by those. Now, the word soul comes from the Greek word suke. starts with a P. It's where we get our word psychology from. It means the way that we think. It's our mental faculties. It's, it's our mind. Whereas the word from spirit comes from a Greek word that means our breath, and it's what's inside of us, our emotional kind of spiritual center. And so what Paul is saying is that I want you in every way, your, your body and, and, and your mind and your soul, the way that you think, the way that you believe, the way that you feel, the way that you are, I want all of them to be made whole and complete because of a work that God will do in your life. Does that sound okay? Paul writes, I want your body to be whole and holy and see, for us, that would, that would be saying, you know, you should probably take care of yourselves. You should probably get some rest. You probably shouldn't burn yourself out. Don't destroy yourself. He says, I want you to be whole in the way that you think. I mean, the way that you think is so important. He, he goes on later in the New Testament to talk about how we should take every thought captive because every thought matters. He talks about how we are actually renewed and transformed by the, the renewing of our mind. It's the way that we think. The way that you think about yourself and other people is so incredibly connected to your faith. And then he says, I want your, your spirit, your, your inner kind of spiritual, emotional uh, being to, to be at peace and to be complete. In other words, every part of you would be made holy and whole. And, and, and this is one of those verses where if you're reading First Thessalonians, it's at the very end. Paul's wrapping up and, and it might be, in theory, one of, those, oh, one of those throwaway verses. We've already gotten through the meat of the book, and this is just his conclusion. I'll skip over this, but this is not remotely a throwaway verse. There's no such thing in Scripture, you understand. And, and what he is saying is that the goal in, in a life that is full with Jesus is not a life that, it, that is compartmentalized and you're missing things over here and it's kind of a wreck over here and we're just juggling, doing the best we can in the middle of chaos. But no, God said, I, Jesus said, I came to give you a life more abundantly, a life that is full, a life that is whole, a life that is good. In other words, it's the way things should be. That is what I mean by the word health. And this word was used a lot in scripture and it, and it sums it up really, really well. And it's the word shalom. I don't know if you're familiar with the word shalom, if you're picturing an Orthodox Jew in New York City saying shalom to someone. But, but really, this was a, a word used in Scripture to mean just kind of this overarching picture of health, of peace, of tranquility, of prosperity, that you would lack nothing, you have everything in its fullness from God. It's the way things should be. And so people actually used it as a greeting and as a farewell, as if to say, this is what I wish upon you, shalom. I, I hope that's the picture of your life. 
And, and when you say hello, it's a way of saying, man, I hope that's what you're experiencing right now. The, the word is interchanged a lot in scriptures with the word peace. So when Jesus actually said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, it was the word shalom. He was saying, here's what I'm leaving you. Here's what I want you to have. This full picture where you are made whole and everything is the way that it should be, the way that it's supposed to be. You get an echo of this when he taught us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And he said, I want things to be on earth as they are in heaven. In other words, I want it to be here the way that it was supposed to be. That's how we pray. That's how we live. That's how we think. That, that we would be ushering in this kind of peace that we would have in our lives. And notice in the verse that it says, may the God of peace make you this way. In other words, this is not a thing that we can accomplish on our own. This is not a thing that we are capable of doing by ourselves. This is who God is, and this is what God does. So no amount of self-help is ever going to make you fully and completely whole. The idea of self-help is a little bit broken. If yourself is the problem, how can yourself be the solution? The idea here is that you need God to come into your life, and through Jesus Christ, he will fix what's broken and heal what's shattered and restore things back to the way they're supposed to be. That's what God does. He makes us whole. He makes us healed and new. He came to give us life more abundantly. It's a supernatural work that God can do in us. That's the picture of health that I want for us. That's how I want your lives to look. That's how I want your walk with Jesus to look. It's how I want your marriages to look and your relationships with your kids to look. That's that the God of peace would give us this kind of wholeness and health it's shalom. It's, it reminds me of a time, true story, a couple years ago, I was paying for gas at the Irving in Marysville, and the guy that was working there, I'd seen him a million times, and he always usually said, well, have a good one, have a good day, whatever. Uh, and, and this time, out of nowhere, I was walking to the door to leave, and he was like, shalom. And I, it caught me so off guard, I went, shalom too. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know what to do here. Shalom too. But that's kind of what I want today for all of us. So shalom too. I, I want us to have that picture of holiness and health in our lives. And I think that's what we all want. It just seems to be so far removed from where we actually are. There seems to be far more chaos than peace. We all seem to be way more busy than we are restful. We seem to have way more stress and anxiety than we have peace and tranquility. Our bodies seem to be more tired and weary than they are sacred temples of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever felt like your theology just wasn't matching up with your reality? Have you ever read the way that you're supposed to be and you read the scriptures and you thought, this doesn't really look like my life. There's a gap here. Something's, something's wrong. And you read scripture and you think, this isn't what I'm actually experiencing. And I have. I think we all have. I think that's good. I think it's normal. But here's a confession. I think that sometimes the church has inadvertently made your life more stressful than it has restful. I think that sometimes the way we have ordered and structured the modern church and how it operates, the, the drive to reach new people and the drive to do new things and to always come up with fresh ideas to reach new generations and to go crazy and to offer all these ministries and events and programs and, and, and you've got to do everything you can to have all these people show up and, and, and you've got to preach the scripture you've all heard 28 times in your life or 28 years of your life and it's got to be new and fresh and different and 
creative and, and, and we buy Facebook ads and we sell t-shirts and we go crazy trying to do all this stuff so at the end of the year, we can have our annual meeting and look on the big screen and say, man, best attendance ever, best giving ever, most missions work ever, man, we knocked it out of the park. And we've done that the last couple of years. We have had the best attendance and the best giving. It's gone really, really well. We've never been bigger or more successful. But it doesn't mean we're healthy. And this past year, from an internal perspective as your staff team, man, it was a hard year. And you might be surprised to hear that. Because on the surface, it wasn't really a hard year. It was a great year. We did a lot of great things this year. We, we did some pretty major outreach in our city. We got some public applause and the mayor showed up. We, we saw new people join our church and we celebrated baptisms and, and God was good and he did some great things. Amen? But I don't think your staff team has ever been more exhausted. I don't think your volunteer team has ever carried more than they have ever carried this past year and I think it takes a toll on them and on their families and to be honest, I'm not sure all that driving and pushing and creative kind of energy and let's do more and do better, I'm, I'm not even sure it really gives us the total picture of success. Because it can look like we have an effective ministry. And, and really, to some degree, we really do. We're, we're a fairly abnormal church in the maritime landscape. A lot of churches are shrinking, a lot of churches are closing, a lot of churches are broke, it's not a happy picture. And so when I tell people, yeah, we're, we're in four services and hundreds of people show up and God's doing great things, it's, they're, they're surprised. People are surprised that a church would be doing well. And most people in our neck of the woods look at Crosspoint and go, man, Crosspoint, they've got one effective ministry. But here's the thing, I don't want to have an effective ministry and an unhealthy soul. I don't want to have an effective ministry and an unhealthy church. I don't want our church to grow, but our volunteers to be burnt out. I don't want our church to get bigger, but not have anyone know each other's names. I don't want to get excited about going out and loving our city if I'm not convinced we even love one another. You see how it happens so subtly. You don't mean for it to happen. But it's a perfect sentence that Dr. Lennox gave us last week, if you were here. He says, sometimes it's really easy to confuse results with success. It's easy to confuse results with success. In other words, I don't want to assume that the appearance of a growing attendance and giving is the same picture of Crosspoint Church being made holy in every way. Those can be different. Here's the thing. You can grow a church and still be stuck in unhealthy ways of thinking. You can grow a church and not actually have reached anyone new for Jesus. You can grow a church and have it not look anything like you read about in the Bible. That's a little scary, isn't it? It's a little weird. And, and so I want to be clear about this. I don't think we're unhealthy. I, I, I want to make sure that this is not a confession about everything we've done has been bad. Oh man, if we drop the ball, just brutal. That, that's not how I feel remotely. We have sought God's voice every year and, and have sought to grow the kingdom and do good things and reach our city, and it's all been uh, what we believe God has, has told us to do. And so it, it's not kind of an admission of, oh boy, it's been bad. It's, it's more the, the sense that if we're not careful, we could get there real quick. You can get pretty close to the edge of confusing results with success and not even know that you've kind of crossed that line. 
This vision isn't about looking in the rear view with regret. It's looking through the windshield with hope and with a renewed passion that we would pursue the right things as a church, that we would focus on the better things as a church that Scripture calls us to. This year, I've been feeling God ask me some hard questions. Mark, if the church didn't grow numerically this year, but people in your church got healthy and their relationships were healthy, would that be success? Mark, if you didn't break any records for giving this year, if you didn't have any huge missions trips, if you didn't reach your city in, in public, tangible ways that people could watch and give you a thumbs up for, but your volunteers and your staff and their families felt far more rested and healthy than before, wouldn't that be success? Mark, what if the less visible things of ministry, like a strong reliance on my Holy Spirit and a renewed passion for prayer, and a greater desire to see people equipped to do evangelism, what if they were the things that mattered most? They're not tangible. They're not obvious. You can't Instagram it. But would that be success? I mean, what's success at church anyway? That's a good question. What does it look like to have success at church? See, our 21st century worldview is so driven by numbers and the bottom line and, and uh, measurable statistics. But, and I think the church was created by God to operate a little bit differently than the way we measure 21st century businesses. I still think the church should grow, for the record. This is not a sermon about Mark thinks we should go back down to a church of 100. Amen. Woo! Not what I'm saying at all. I just believe that if we don't first focus on being made holy in every way with the way that we think, the way that we believe, the way that we live, if we don't keep the main things the main things, that all of our future growth and expansion will be built on a foundation of sand. And it won't last. Jesus even asked us, what good is it if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? Mark, what good is it if you build a multi-million dollar church on Cliff Street but you destroy the soul of a hundred volunteers in the process. What good is it if you grow your church, but staff and volunteer kids grow up wondering where their parents are every single night? Or if no one in the congregation really cares about lost people? If the community of Cross Point is made up of a group of strangers who don't really pray for each other and love one another? What good is it? What success as a church? What good is it if we don't operate or look like the church we read about in the New Testament? And so here's a question I think everyone who's a part of a church should ask themselves. I think every pastor should ask themselves this. Is what I'm seeing at my church congruent with what I read about in the New Testament? Does what I see at my church line up with what I read about in the New Testament? And, and it's kind of like this. I've been to... 10 hundred conferences. It's not a number. And all kinds of books and podcasts and all the conversations with church leaders and everyone asks, you know, how do you grow your church? And the question is, well, you got to go find out from people what they want in a church. What do people really want in a church? In other words, what's going to work? What's going to work? And so the answers are pretty obvious and you can narrow it down pretty quickly. People want a certain kind of music, 
It's got to be a certain style and a certain volume. It's got to be a certain length, not too many songs. It's got to be a certain kind of way. And, and then the sermon needs to be, well, it's got to be good. It needs to be serious, but it needs to be funny, but it needs to be short, but it needs to be long, but it needs to be biblical, but it can't be too confusing. It needs to be understandable, but it needs... It's got to have kids ministry for every single age group. You got to have youth ministry. You got to have young adult ministry, and you've got to have, uh, uh, you know, a great church facility. It's got to be clean. It's got to be modern. It's got to be updated. It's got to have really good parking. It's got to be conveniently located to where I live. It needs to have coffee. It needs to provide all the specific ministries for the niche that I find myself in, whether I'm a, a single parent or a senior or whatever it is, all those things. And, and, and you go to the conferences and they're like, that's what you got to do to grow your church. That's what's going to work. That's what you need to have. But if you read through the book of Acts, and you read through the New Testament and you find out what did God command of his church. It looks like a list of things like this, that we would love one another the way Christ has loved us, that we would bear one another's burdens, that we would take care of orphans and widows, that we would share everything and give generously, that we would be completely devoted to Bible study, breaking bread together and prayer, that we would make disciples of all nations, that we would operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would rejoice through suffering. And so you put those columns up side by side. And you have to ask yourself the question, what would bother you most about your church? If column A went missing or if column B went missing? What would bother you the most? Or perhaps another question, is it possible for a church to be so good at column A that it doesn't realize it's accomplishing anything in column B? And perhaps another question is how long would it take for you to realize that you were in one of those churches? It's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? Let's all, let's all take a minute here, have a drink. See, that's the tricky thing is that you can be in the middle of it and not even notice it. You can be in the middle of it and not even be bothered by the fact that maybe your church is missing a whole bunch of things in column B. And, and, and this isn't to remotely kind of attack anyone or anything. Just from my personal experience, I have gotten way more emails about our music and style and volume than I ever have about anyone who is concerned that we didn't pray enough. I have gotten way more feedback from people about our facility, the paint colors, the way that it's set up, the booking fees, than I ever have about anyone who was concerned that we didn't do enough for orphans and widows. But you see, some of those are biblical commands and some of them aren't. And I want to be clear here that column A and column B are not at odds with each other. It's not that they're fighting. It's not that they're, they're against one another. It's that one of them is a how and one of them is a why. Column A is how we do church. And, and how we do church, I want that to be done well. I, I, I like coffee. I would like to keep serving it. I, I want a clean facility. I think you should mop the floor. I want good quality music. I want preaching that people can understand. It is how we do things, but none of it is more important than anything in column B. See, that's the why. Well, why are we here in the first place? Why do we gather? It's why do we sing? It's not what kind of music do you have. It's can I worship regardless? 
It's not, well, is, is you know, the preaching funny? Is it okay? It's, it's more, do you guys study the Bible? It's, it's the why, and, and we gather so that we can fulfill the biblical commandments that God has put on his church to love one another the way that Christ loved us, that, that we can take care of one another and carry each other's burdens and pray for one another and, and pool our resources to kind of take care of each other and grow the kingdom. That's, that's the why we're here. It's to obey God and in obeying God that we would glorify God, that we would worship God, that he would be first and foremost the one on display. Our motivation for meeting every single week is Jesus Christ, not Crosspoint. Column A is just easier. It's easier to do. It's easier to find books about it. It's easier to set it up and manage it and measure it and take pictures of it. Column B is messy. It's hard. It's difficult to gauge. It doesn't look as successful. But again, the question is, does our church look like a column B church? When people come to Crosspoint, did they see us loving one another the way that Christ loved his church? That's a high bar. You would have to love one another supernaturally to accomplish that. Do we? You know, are we doing anything that completely requires being dependent on the Holy Spirit? Or have we just been pretty capable of pulling it off with hard work and talent? Are people being made into disciples who are then equipped to go and make more disciples or other people that have been coming here for 10 years who don't even know what that means? These are the hard questions of church. To focus on column A is to ask, will it work? To focus on column B is, is this what God wants? Is this how we worship him? To focus on column A could give you an effective ministry, but it doesn't necessarily give you a healthy church. To focus on column A is to make us the point. To focus on column B is to remind ourselves that we're just clay jars that's holding the real treasure. Our vision this year is that we would be healthy, holy in every way, the way that we think, the way that we do church the way that we love one another, the way that it looks for us to do that, to make sure that we don't lose him in the endeavor of trying to reach people and do church and accomplish all these things. It's not that you can mean to just deliberately make that decision, it's just that it happens subtly. And I want to make sure that it doesn't happen here. Uh, a couple years ago, I remember having to run into Kingswood to pick up one of my girls from a birthday party. Not Kingswood University. They don't have birthday parties for six-year-olds. Um, but, but like the play park. And, and, and she was over in the gymnastics wing, which is kind of off in the corner. But, uh, but I was waiting around for them in the middle of the arcade, laser tag, bowling, food chaos. If you've ever just lingered there and found yourself in the middle of chaos. And, and my kid wasn't done yet, and so I was just kind of hanging out there, and uh, all these kids are going crazy. There's kids everywhere playing all the games and stuff. And in the middle of the chaos, one little guy asked another guy, whose birthday is it? <laughs> Isn't that great? I don't even know whose birthday I'm at, but this is awesome. The answer from the kid was, oh, some guy in our class. <laughs> so he had invited his whole class to come to Kingswood, and some kids didn't even know that's who we're there for. It's a little bit sad. It's a little bit sad. 
And, and, and it got me wondering if the birthday boy had just had a small gathering at his house with no laser tag, no bowling, no pizza party, no, no chaos, just a quiet time maybe with some cake, would any of those other kids have shown up? Probably not. But are they really at Kingswood right now because they have a deep relationship with the guest of honor? Or are they there because there's super fun things to do at Kingswood? Which leads me to another question. If, if the birthday boy had have left his party at Kingswood, how long would it have taken for anyone to notice? Or would they have all been so happy and distracted by the fun and games that they didn't even realize that their guest of honor had left? Do you see where I'm going with this? It is my desire for us not to be a church that people show up at because there's just a lot of fun things going on, but completely miss out on who they're supposed to be here for. I asked this question to our staff team and our board team a few months ago, and I asked if the Holy Spirit left Crosspoint, how long would it take us to notice? How long could you just do church really well without involving God at all? And it's a scary thought that in today's day and age, I think you could pull it off for a while and people wouldn't know. And that, again, isn't to say I think we've done that, but it's more of a caution that I don't ever want to do that. I want to make sure that the main thing stays the main thing, that we are a church that is healthy first, even if it flies in the face of what success might look like to other people. I don't ever want us to become a birthday party church. Now, I want us to have good parties and eat food. That's biblical amen. I'm just talking about how I never just want to have a fun, activity-driven kind of ministry to ever take place of the worship of Jesus Christ and the person that we're here to gather for. I don't ever want the how to eclipse the why. I don't ever want to spend more time on the how than we do the why. We need to be a column B church first and a column A church second. I don't want Jesus to be secondary in anything that we do. And so this year we have made some changes as a staff team as to what life might look like at Crosspoint. You're gonna hear about those as the series progresses. Some small changes, maybe some big changes, but see, it's not enough just to realize it and talk about it without changing anything. So here's one of them just for fun. I'll let you in on a sneak peek of a thing that might not seem big to you, but it, it is for us as a staff team. Um, as a staff team, we evaluate the services every single weekend. We gather in my office, we have staff meeting, we talked about, hey, how was church this weekend? What worked, what went well, all that kind of stuff. And, and we found ourselves almost always saying, man, tons of people in church this weekend. What an awesome weekend. Or we'd find ourselves saying, where was everyone this weekend? It's kind of a bummer. And without even meaning to, without realizing it, we were equating how many people showed up with success and if there was not enough people that showed up, well, something eh, wasn't that great. In other words, we were measuring the wrong thing. What's success on a weekend? It can't just be attendance. Did we worship God? Did we preach the word? Did we love one another, care for one another? Did we meet one another? Did lonely people find connections in a biblical way? Did, did, did we lift up our brothers and sisters? Was God glorified? And we realized that, man, has attendance become a little bit of an obstacle to us? 
have we equated attendance with success? And so we, we have not taken attendance since May. We, you don't have to applaud that. That's, you know, I'm just, we haven't taken attendance for five months. Some of you didn't even know we took attendance. That's fine. Actually, we're supposed to take attendance for the denomination. This year, it will be a question mark. But I've had pastors ask me, because this is what we talk about. How was your summer attendance this year? I don't know. Mark, how many people do you have on the weekend? I'm not sure. And I haven't told them. I'm not, it's not a thing that I'm just going to go, oh, we, we stopped taking attendance. <laughs> they don't know that. I'm not telling anyone except the whole internet right now. But it, it, And it's not that, that we deliberately valued counting people over doing the work of God. You understand? It's just that so subtly you can assume that if the church is getting bigger, it's successful. And maybe that's not success. I think health is success that the church would be edified and raised up to be a holy group of believers that look like Jesus and talk like Jesus and live like Jesus, that we would love one another and know one another, that the first things would be the first things, that we would glorify God and his name above all else. That is what I want for our church. That's what I want for your families, that you would be healthy and rested that, you would, that, that we'd be able to build into your marriages and the way that you love your kids and raise them, that we wouldn't be burning out volunteers by trying to do so much that, that maybe deliberately we just wouldn't do a lot as a church this year because we believe it's biblical that you would be together with your families. I want us to be healthy. I want us to accomplish what, what 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, that God would make us holy in every way, in our spirit, and our soul, and in our bodies, that, that it would be good that we would see God moving and God working and God raising us up. And at the end of the year at our annual meeting, it won't matter what the numbers say, so long as we're healthy and Jesus is first and we're following his commands and that we look like a column B church more so than a column A church. So that's our vision for the year. It's untitled. We didn't want to give it a fancy graphic. It seemed to fly in the face of what we were doing. What are you guys talking about this fall? Nothing. But everything. This is what we believe matters. And in fact, I believe that, that God has a great future for us that looks supernatural and miraculous, but he's not going to let us get there until we get this right that he's preparing for something for us, but we need to make sure that we're on a good foundation, that we're, that we're becoming the people God wants us to be, that we're the church that God has asked us to be. There's no big miraculous closing. This isn't like a, and now I'm going to shoot pyrotechnics and we're all going to go out and get them. But man, I hope you pray for your church this year. I pray that, that you would help us make sure that we're doing the right things, that we're aiming for the right things, that, we're, that you would be concerned that we're a column B church, not just a column A church. You understand your staff team's not just the church, we're all the church. And we want to believe this thing together and do this thing together and see God together as a community the way he wanted it to be. Amen? Amen. So we're going to close today by doing some of those things that matter. And we are going to worship and we're going to pray and we're going to look to God and ask him to continue to help us this year.